Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Um, Luke 2, verse 1 to 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Jesus also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came, from her, time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Matthew 2, 1-6, 9-11. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. After listening to the king, they, want, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, 
gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You may be seated. As you see it, let me pray for us. Father, we have gathered here to remember a truly wondrous event. God, and so we, we pray because that wonder is so grand, where we need help to truly understand and begin to fathom what this means for us. And so I pray now, by your Spirit, would you come and meet us in this place, speak to us, and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a a challenge and a danger that that comes with Christmas. The, The challenge is that it's familiar, maybe even a little too familiar. We, we know the story, the stories of the wise men and, and the shepherds and the manger. And so you pair that familiarity then with the warm fuzzies of this season, the time off work, the being, being with family, the yummy food, the, the Baileys, and And it's easy to all of a sudden just kind of drift through this time. We just kind of let it wash over us, and and before we know it, we're we're out on the other end. We, We can grow numb to and overlook the truly astounding meaning of it all. But if we could actually grasp the meaning of Christmas, it would change our lives. It would provide us not with this fleeting joy but, or fleeting happiness, but this weighty joy, this, this joy that would last beyond Boxing Day. It would have the power to transform us. So, so what I want to do with the remaining 15 minutes of my time, I know I will believe it uh, when I see it just as much as you will, but I'll try. In the remaining 15 minutes that I have, what I would like to do is not walk us through those Christmas narratives that we just read, but I'd like to read a verse that explains what it actually all means. So here's our verse for this morning. It's a verse familiar to many of us. It's a famous verse, a verse seen in football stadiums, on TV, and all over the place. John 3.16, this is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why Christmas? Why did God give his Son? Why was Jesus born in a manger? Because, as it says, God loves the world. God loves so three, three things this morning, three things Christmas tells us about God's love. God's love is an expansive love, God's love is an extravagant love, and God's love is an embracing love. Firstly, it is an expansive love. L- listen to it again. Verse 16, for God so loved the world. When John talks here about the world, he is not alluding to this giant big rock that we live on. He's specifically trying to speak about humanity. 
For, for God to declare that he loves the world is for him to declare that he loves all people in all times and in all places. And then to make sure we really don't miss it, again and again and again, John is going to talk about this love being for whoever. So we read this, verse 16. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 15, just earlier, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. And verse 21, but whoever does what is true. There is no love as vast or as wide as the love God has towards humanity. And anyone can get in on this love. Um, if you don't believe me, just um, remember that both shepherds and wise men visited Jesus. Both shepherds and wise men. Um, sometimes we think of the shepherds in the nativity scene, and we think, oh, isn't that so cute? The shepherds wearing their little brown striped robe with their shepherd's crook in their hand, you know, cuddling with little Fluffy over there sitting on the green grass. Um, the reality is, um, shepherds were some of the most despised people in that society. Shepherds were looked down upon all the time. The, the Mishnah, which is the royal uh, or the, the oral record of the Jewish laws, says this, shepherds are incompetent, not because they can't shepherd, but because they can't follow God's law, they thought. They go on to explain um, that no one should feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who falls into a pit. So other people, absolutely, they're humans. You should help them. But shepherds, just, just keep walking. No, no need to help. Jeremiah, he was a historian. He wrote about the first century and he said, shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They were considered liars and could not fulfill judicial offices or act as witnesses in court. He says to buy wool, milk, or a kid, a, a baby goat, from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. Shepherds were marginalized, shunned sinners. But who gets to see Jesus? They do. It's not just the shepherds, though, that are there. It's also the wise men. So the wise men would have been the total opposite. Distinguished individuals belonging to the upper echelons of society. These would have been highly respected individuals, likely priests in Persia, who were very influential in society and very wealthy. Just think about it. They're able to make a long journey, likely with a giant entourage, paying for all of it. And then they come and present at the feet of Jesus gifts worth a fortune, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And yet with all that they have, they still go, there must be more to this life than there is. This can't be all that there is. They're longing for a greater love. And so they travel all the way to Bethlehem and there they too are welcomed in. 
So I don't know who you're more likely to identify with this morning, the shepherds or the wise men. I don't know if your life is falling apart, if you feel like an outsider, if you're keenly aware of all the ways you've messed up, or maybe you're crushing it. Maybe in the eyes of the world, you have it all. And yet deep down inside of you, you recognize there's got to be more. There's got to be a greater love. I don't know who you come as, but God loved the world, and all are welcome at his feet. It is an expansive love. Secondly, it is an extravagant love. It's an extravagant love. Look at what verse 16 again says. It says, For God loved the world that he gave his only son. But, but that's not actually what it says. It says, for God so loved the world. He so loved the world. Um, the best way I heard this explained was like this. Um, let's say you're on vacation somewhere. It's 30 degrees outside. You're, you're sitting on the beach, lying on your stomach, just reading a, reading a book or maybe having a nap, just, just soaking up the rays. Just getting your tan on, it's just, it sounds so glorious right now. You're just, it's the, it's the best. And along comes um, one of your children, and to your surprise, they dump a bucket of water on your back. And you go, you're dead. But you don't say that. You say, you're so dead. Or let's say tomorrow... Or, or maybe if you celebrate like a day earlier, you're one of those impatient folks who like to celebrate on Christmas Eve um, instead of on Christmas Day. You, you're having dinner, though, with family, and um, the hostess has just finished this, you know, serving this amazing meal, and out comes dessert, and it's apple pie. Like, you got the, you got the tried apples, like the three different types of apples. The, the crust is flaky and warm, and there's a little bit of vanilla ice cream that's beginning to melt, and you say, man, this is delicious. But you actually don't say that. You say, no, 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 this is so delicious. Let, let's make eye contact for one second. God doesn't love you. God so loves you. One, the, the, the translators here are, are trying to just grasp at the depth of feeling that Jesus has towards us, that, that God has towards us. So how, how do you know you're so dead? Because I'm going to chase you if it's the last thing I do and throw you back into the ocean. How, how do you know it's so good and so delicious? Because I don't just want one piece of pie, I want two pieces of pie. How do you know that God so loves you? Because God gave his only son, his only son. One of the ways to determine the extent of love is by the value of the gift given. The value of the gift given tells you about how much that person loves you. And the idea here is that God gave his only son 
This is a unique gift, a, a one-of-a-kind gift. This is a, a, a relationship that God the Father has with God the Son that is totally precious. There, there's nothing like this in the rest of the world. Um, I love my kids. I do. I love my kids. That, that first moment, though, that I saw them and I held them when they came into the world, I thought that was the most I could love my kids. I realized I'm, I was wrong. I, I realized that I love them more now than I first loved them. My, my love for them continues to grow and grow. I, I know them more. I care about them more. My, uh, I increasingly find my happiness wrapped up in their happiness. Well, the Bible says that God the Father and God the Son have existed in a perfect relationship for all eternity. This is, this is like an, an overflowing, a, a delighting in that's just constantly increasing just for all eternity, for forever and ever. It's, it's hard to imagine the love that they have for one another. And yet the Father goes, this son that I love more than you'll ever be able to love any of your children, I give him to you. He's yours. That's how much I love you. God the Son leaves his Father's side, descends from heaven, and born in a manger. But he doesn't just come to be born, he also comes to die. If you just go back um, two verses, you read this. And Moses, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus talking about himself, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus here is alluding to him being raised up, being lifted up on the cross where he will come to die. Why does Jesus die for the world? Because he so loved the world. To, to love someone is to do the best we can for them. When we truly love someone, we give them all that we are. Listen to this quote by Thomas Brooks. He says, This is as if he said, You shall have as true an interest in all my attributes for your good. My grace, saith God, shall be yours to pardon. My powers shall be yours to protect you. And my wisdom shall be yours to direct you. And my goodness shall be yours to relieve you. And my mercy shall be yours to supply you. And my glory shall be yours to crown you. This is a comprehensive promise for God to be given to us. It includes all. And yet there's one more thing that was not mentioned on that list that God could have given us. It's his life. It's the one thing we most desperately needed. It's, it's his life. God says, I'm going to wrap up my pleasure in your welfare. Depending on how well you are, that's how much happiness I'm going to derive. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God goes, I don't want you to perish. 
I don't want death to be the end. I don't want you to be the one who has to pay for your own wrongdoing. I I don't want sin to be ruling over you. And so I want you to have eternal life. I want you to live for forever. I want you to be with me. I want you to be forgiven, to experience the fullness of life, not just then, but beginning now. I want you to have eternal life in the fullest sense. So, if that's what I want from you, then I'll die for you, he says. I'll pay the wrongs that you've done, and I'll suffer the consequences of sin. I'll be separated from God so that you can belong to God. When God sends his son, Jesus, to die for you, God says that for you to belong to him is of greater value than the life of his very own son. Let me say that again. For Jesus to come and die for you is for God to declare that for you to belong to God is of greater value than the life of his very own son. How do you know if God loves you? Well, Jesus died for you. Well, what, what about all those wrongs that I've done? Do, do you know how, how much of a sinner I am? Do you know that thing that I did back then? Yes, but Jesus came to die for you. Well, what, what, what about all the sins I've yet to commit? You, you don't know if I'm going to mess up and I'm going to walk away, I'm going to screw it all up. Yes, but Jesus came to die for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Lastly, it's an embracing love. It's an embracing love. God gives us his son as a display of his love for us. But the question remains, will we respond Will we embrace it? Will we receive it? Again, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Will you believe? Um, Under my tree, um, there's a bunch of gifts under my tree right now. Um, but there are um, three gifts in particular that I'm most excited to open. The, these gifts have act, were actually the first gifts to go under my tree. Um, you see, my kids were at a uh, visiting a church um, out in um, Fort Langley, and there's uh, a library in this church, and this, this church was giving away a bunch of old books. And so my kids um, secretly kind of tried to sneak some of these books um, sorry, kids, your mom told me. Um, and, and they wrapped them and they brought them home and they, and they put them under the tree. And I'm really, I'm really interested to know um, what books they picked for me. Um, you see, the gift um, that someone gives doesn't just say something about the giver. It also says something about the one receiving the gift. Sometimes to receive a gift requires um, that we swallow our pride a little bit. So if um, my kids gave me a book that says, 
how to grow in mercy, kindness, and patience towards your kids, <laughs> that, 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 would, that would say something. To, to receive a gift that says how to teach the Bible in a short and succinct way, that, that, would, that would say something. To really receive a gift, to really embrace a gift, is to admit that we need it. It's to admit that we need it. The same is true about the gift of Jesus given to the world. To embrace him is to admit that I need saving, that I deserve to perish, that eternal life, fullness of life, now and always, is not something that I can attain by my own effort. So the question is, do you believe? Do you believe in him? Not, not just believe in the sense of, sure, Jesus came and he died, but, but do you believe that you needed him to come and die? The love of God is a gift. It's free. There's absolutely nothing required. There's no moral standard. There's no law that we have to do. There's no prayer that we have to say. There's nothing that we have to do to deserve that gift. It's a gift. It's free. But we have to receive it. We have to believe it. Will you embrace that gift this Christmas? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love towards us. God, maybe we need eternal life because it's going to take that long to really understand just how much you loved us. God, we thank you that you gave us Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you came and died. Jesus, we thank you that you humbled yourself to that extent so that we might truly be saved. God, I pray, fill us with wonder and delight and joy that lasts not just tonight and tomorrow, but that grows and grows and grows for forever and ever, we pray. Amen.